Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. when a child could tip the balance between good and evil. Why, with my powers, with the strength of my great army, can you not find one little child? A time for an unlikely hero named Willow. Tell her I'm not gonna let anything happen to the baby. You gotta give that baby to somebody. I'm somebody. A time of scoundrels. What goes on here? Uh oh. And a time of rebels. You are great. You're gonna get us killed. You're a great warrior. And a swordsman. And you're ten times bigger than I am, stupid! Find a child. Find a child! It was a time when courage could be found where you'd least expect it. A time when unearthly powers raged and good men risked their lives. Time of great adventure. From the creator of Star Wars and the director of Cocoon, Willow. Welcome to episode 17 of the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and my co host, as usual, is. Terrence, hello, hello. Looking a little tired today, Terrence. That heat has been wearing us out, man. Last week, I thought I was melting like the Wicked Witch of the West. I mean, it was terrible. Oh, man, yeah. It was like 85 degrees at night in the warehouse. Right. dying. (laughs) Yeah, it was like 135 where I work inside. So, yeah, they gave us two free Gatorades. (laughs) Whoop-de-doo. But that was gone from the first (laughs) hour. Gatorade. Um, 
So I put out on social media that uh, if somebody could guess what movie I was doing, because uh, it was one of my favorites. Yeah. And uh, David Martin, you were closest, but you already had one guess. But yes, it is the famous Willow. So you, I'm sure you told your wife and she guessed it. Yeah. So yes, it is Willow. <laughs> it is one of my absolute favorite movies. It brings me back to a kid. It's just the whole fantasy um uh, it's very whimsical. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Ron Howard directed it. It's really good. But before we get into that, because there's a lot of stuff to talk about, Terrence, the question of the day. Are you ready? Let's do it. Terrence, would you rather be brownie size, as in this movie, real little, or would yeah. you rather be giant size, like Andre the Giant, if you had to choose one? If I had to choose one, honestly, like giant size... Just because I've always been a workhorse anyway, so I just be a giant workhorse and pretty much live life like I do already. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, we're filming this, or filming this, we're recording this on July twenty fifth. Uh, so a couple dates in history: July twenty fifth, nineteen forty six, at Club Five Hundred in Atlantic City, New Jersey, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis staged their first show as a comedy duo. Huh, Club 500. That's that, like, super exclusive place, isn't it? I, that I don't know. I didn't I look know. that up. I might be thinking of a different place, but I, th- I think it might be. Uh, July 25th, 1987. Are you ready for this one? Do it. Sherry Martell beats the fabulous moolah for the women's championship belt. <laughs> the fabulous moolah. <laughs> she was a great wrestler. <laughs> and also having birthdays today, uh, the late, great Estelle Getty from Golden Girls fame. She died in uh, 2008. And Matt LeBlanc from Friends fame is, which was Joey, mm-hmm. is 52. Oh, wow. 52. Man, we're getting old. So um, with that being said, uh, we're going to jump right into this, Terrence. Let's take it away. All right. Willow. Release date, July 20th, 1988. Budget, $35 million estimated. Uh, after conversion, $75.7 million. Uh, gross USA. Uh, 57 million estimated and 123.4 million after conversion. This was directed by Ron Howard, written by George Lucas. Uh, Bob Dolman also uh, was one of the. Used, he wrote. Bob Dolman wrote the screenplay. George Lucas wrote the story. Uh, technical aspects: We're looking at a runtime of two hours and six minutes. Is 126 minutes. Sound mix is 70 millimeter six track. That's 70 millimeter prints. Dolby 35 millimeter prints. Color movie, aspect ratio 2.20 by 1, and 70 millimeter prints, and uh, 2.39 by 1. So we're probably looking at um, theatrical and then maybe uh, VHS uh, for the two different aspect ratios. Uh, the camera Panavision, Panaflex Gold, uh, Panavision C Series, and Cook Lenses. And a fun fact about Cook Lenses is. Uh, it started off as a telescope company, and then they moved on to lenses after they got bought out by like three different people. Hmm. Um, as a very interesting deep history, that would be its own podcast on its own if I went into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Laboratory Deluxe Hollywood, uh, California, USA Prints. Rank Film Laboratories, uh, UK, Denham. Interesting. Uh, film length, 3,448 meters, Sweden. Uh, negative format, 35 millimeter, also horizontal, Eastman. Cinemagraphic process, uh, Panavision, anamorphic. Vistavision, visual effects. Printed film format, 35 millimeter, Eastman, 5384. 70 millimeter, blow up, Eastman, 5384. And now, 
Off to the awards. Dun, 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 dun. Academy Awards, USA 1989, Oscar nom- nominee Oscar, uh, Best Effects, Sound Effects Editing by Ben Burt and Richard Hems, nominee Oscar, Best Effects, Visual Effects, Dennis Murren, Michael J. McAllister, Phil Tepet, and Christopher Evans. Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, USA, 1990. Winner, Saturn Award, Best Costumes, Barbara Lane. Nominee, Saturn Award, Best Fantasy Film. Nominee, Saturn Award, Best Supporting Actress, Jean Marsh. Nominee, Saturn Award, Best Performance by a Younger Actor, Warwick Davis. Nominee, Saturn Award, Best Special Effects, John Richardson, Industrial Light and Magic, ILM. Hugo Awards, 1989, nominee Hugo. Hugo. Best Dramatic Presentation, Ron Howard, Director, and Bob Dolman, Screenplay, George Lucas, Screenplay. Razzie Awards. The razzles are coming back. Yep. 1989, uh, nominee Razzie Award. Worst Supporting Actor, (laughs) Billy Barty. Worst screenplay, Bob Dolman and George Lucas. Uh, and then off to the last one, which is Young Artist Awards, 1989. Young Artist Award, Best Family Motion Picture Drama. Best Young Actor in Motion Picture Drama, Warwick Davis. Now, it's interesting to see them in both in runnings for Oscars and also right. in runnings for Razzies. Because you don't see that really at all. No. So that's a feat all in itself. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I gotta leave this in there because I was like, I can't believe this. So, yeah, it was very interesting. Mm. And then finally, the synopsis: A dwarf must protect the baby from being destroyed by an evil queen. Short and simple. So let's go ahead and jump into the cast. Um, this has a lot of famous people in it. Start off with Val Kilmer. Um, yep. Played Mad Mardigan. Man, loved him. Uh, Joanne Wally or Whaley uh, played Sorsha. Warwick Davis, Willow Ufgood, Jean Marsh, Queen Bavmorda, Patricia Hayes, Finn Raziel, Billy Barty paid the High Aldwin and also the Razio winner for the Worst Supporting <laughs> Actors, uh, Pat Roach, General Kill, Gavin O'Harely, Arik Thalbear, David Steinberg, Migosh, Phil Fandakaro, Vonkar, Tony Cox, a Vonkar Warrior, Robert Gillibrand, or Gillibrand, a Vonkar Warrior, Mark Nothover, Burglecut, Kevin Pollock played Rule, and Rick Overton played Frangine. <laughs> and them two, they put on a performance in this. So I wanted to go ahead and throw this out there. Um, I want to do the biography of Warwick Davis because I think he is an outstanding actor. Um, he was born February 3rd in 1970 in Epsom, Surrey, England. He stands only three foot six inches. Hmm. He landed his role for Return of the Jedi after his grandmother heard a radio commercial looking for people under four foot tall. Davis was 11 years old at that time, only two foot and 11 inches, and a huge Star Wars fan. He received the part as an extra, and it wasn't until Kenny Baker, R2-D2, became ill that he was picked up by George Lucas to play the role of Wicked the Ewok. Yep. Some of his most famous roles are in the movies Willow, Return of the Jedi, Leprechaun, Harry Potter... And Prince Caspian in the Voyage of the Dawn Trader. He also plays in numerous Star Wars. Was it Harry Potter? Yeah. Uh, He's also the director of Willow Management, along with his father-in-law, for people who are either very short or very tall. He met his wife on the set of Willow, where she was an extra. 
He owned a line of Star Wars action figures as a kid. When he was cast in Return of the Jedi, Mark Hamill bought Warwick a set of action figures that wasn't in his collection. That's amazing. How awesome is Mark Hamill for doing that? And I found this personal quote. Uh, I love the slapstick element. I don't think we see enough of that in comedy, so it was fun to have that opportunity. My life is quite physical anyway. When you are three foot six, you kind of have to climb stuff now and again, and you find yourself in quite precarious situations just to manage in what a quite big world. And uh, from a personal story, I actually met him at, oh. uh, downtown. It was either Celebration 2. I think it was Celebration 2 or Celebration, the Star Wars Celebration. Okay. And, man, when I met him, I mean, he was just fantastic. You know, and I went up to him and I said, look. I said, you were okay in Star Wars. I was like, but Willow, I said, you knocked that out of the park. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, thank you. He's like, I was like, has there any, been any talks about a sequel? Thing? He's actually, he's like, we have been discussing a sequel to this. Um, he's like, uh, you know, it's been in talks for years. And that was, Celebration 2 was... That was a long time ago, about 10, 15 years ago now. Yeah. Um, but it was really cool to meet him. You know, it was like one of those meeting one of your favorite actors. And you were oh, just yeah. like, oh. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, it was fantastic. He's such a good guy. So, with that being said, we'll just go ahead and keep on trugging right on into the facts. The box office receipts were less than expected, so writer George Lucas continued Willow's story in books rather than in movie sequels. The three books are collectively known as The Chronicles of the Shadow War and Sherry Ryder's credit for Chris Claremont and Lucas. They are Shadow Moon from 1955, or sorry, 1995, Shadow Dawn from 1996, and Shadow Star from 2000. So what I find interesting about this is uh, that's actually a big trend for like fantasy and sci-fi movies alike um, when they just kind of continue on through either books or comics. Uh, but it, I didn't even know these were books. Movies. I would like to read these. This is one of oh, my yeah. favorite movies. I gotta know what happens. You know what I mean? I mean, and it's always great when you find out, and it's always like you find out through like some other means, like us finding out on right. this podcast, and so now like, everybody oh, hey, else is books. finding out exactly. So, so it's like, oh, hey, I am going to get those. Um, George Lucas specifically wrote this film for Warwick Davis after meeting him on the set of Star Wars: Return of the Jedi in 1983. Ha! Huh, that's awesome. Warwick Davis was only 17 years old during the shooting of this film. Wow. Okay. Yeah. According to Warwick Davis, the film had the largest ever casting call for little people at that time. Between 225 and 240 actors were hired for the film. Now, the only other movie I can think of that would have that many would be The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. But I don't know the exact numbers, so I'm going to trust Warwick on that one. Uh, this was the first feature film to use the morphing process developed by Industrial Light and Magic. Remember when she's transforming into the yeah. different animals? Uh, the Devil Dogs were actually Rottweilers in rubber masks and suits. The large group of pigs outside the castle continuously tried mating. Buckets of cold water were used to separate them. <laughs> 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 That's hilarious. <laughs> Take a cold shower. <laughs> As Val Kilmer was getting out of his crow cage between takes, the chain snapped and the cage came down on his foot. His resulting limp is evident during the scene in which Mad Mardigan and Willow arrive opposite Finn Raziel's island. Val Kilmer ad-libbed much of his dialogue, <laughs> which I love when people do that. And they keep oh, it in yeah. the movie. According to the press kits and subsequent novels, the two-handed dragon was named Ebersisk, a reference to the movie critics Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. The word does not occur in the film, but made it into some of the reviews. Hmm. Val Kilmer has first billing instead of Warwick Davis. Writer and producer George Lucas felt that wasn't fair since Davis plays the title role and has the most screen time, which I agree. No, absolutely, yeah. I don't. Why do they do that, though? 
You've seen that. You know, it, something. Uh, it happens Superman, I think, a lot. When they had Marlon Brando, yeah. Gene Hackman, then Christopher Reeve, I think. It, it yeah, it, it happens a lot, unfortunately, for like various, usually political reasons, right? They're like, oh, we don't think people will be on board with this, so we'll put somebody else in for spilling. And that's the same when they they make a poster. Uh, sometimes you'll notice that the main protagonist might not be the center of attention on the poster. It'll be somebody else because they're trying to be like, well, maybe people won't be on board with the protagonist, so let's at least get him into the movie with somebody. It's it's super weird. And speaking of Val Kilmer, I just seen a thing on Facebook as I was scrolling. I guess he was in New York because of the Top Gun 2 thing coming out. Yeah. Uh, but I guess he's been battling throat cancer, and he looked, oh. he looked pretty wild. I ain't going to lie. So... Keep your eyes out for Top Gun 2 coming soon. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> in preparation for the movie, Warwick Davis had to learn a modified accent, how to take care of a baby, how to ride a horse, how to sword fight, and how to perform magic. Lots of different skill sets yeah. learned there. Warwick Davis' future father-in-law, Peter Burroughs, and his wife, Samantha Davis, appear as Newland villagers in this movie. Warwick Davis wore a wig for the movie. The long hair is not his own. Hmm. You could not tell that. Yeah, I was getting ready to say I couldn't tell at all. John Cusack tested for the role of Mad Morgan, but lost to Val Kilmer. He considered that or this his biggest disappointment. <laughs> That's pretty funny. After a meeting on the set of this film, Val Kilmer and Joanna Whaley were married, but later divorced. More information um, on the characters and their backstories can be found in the novelization. The six-month-old twins playing uh, Elora Dannon were too young to have a full head of hair. They wear a wig, which was applied using syrup, as normal wig adhesive would be too harsh for the baby's skin. Huh. Black root is actually vanilla. <laughs> that makes sense. Joanne Whaley accidentally struck her sword into a stuntman's foot while sticking the sword into the ground at the tavern. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. That's terrible. This is why we do not let people play with sharp <laughs> objects. During off hours from shooting... Kevin Pollock and Rick Overton hit up a bar in San Rafael, California, where they ended up performing improv. One of the audience members noticed and proceeded to get up on stage and participate. That person was Robin Williams. That's amazing. Pollock, already a fan of Williams, said he ended up stepping back just to watch Williams perform. I mean, I would too. Yeah. <laughs> a 13-pound animatronics baby capable of moving its head and opening its mouth was used for the action scenes. This baby weighed more than the actual baby, and a more flexible prop baby was used in scenes where Willow falls with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'd imagine, like, a mechanical baby would be dense. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Howard's wife and Warwick Davis's sister both appear as extras atop the snowy mountaintop village. Because of slow production during filming, the babies outgrew the props and the baby carrier that Willow had on his back, so they needed a new baby quickly. The second <laughs> assistant director, Jerry Toomey, uh, recommended his newborn niece, Rebecca Behrman, Although she was never credited, the scene where the baby is sick on Burgle Cut was not written in the script. Willow walked with a limp, which gave Rebecca motion sickness. When she was lifted up, she threw up over his head, and it was so funny that they kept it in the film. Oh, man. <laughs> I think that sheer look of terror on his face when it happened, you know, he's like, uh. <laughs> Right. James Horner's score was frequently used in theatrical trailers in the 80s and 90s, carrying a $10,000 licensing fee for M- in- from MGM and Lucasfilm. Oh, wow. During the close-up shots of the scene where Mad Mortigan and the soldier are being dragged behind the wagon, Val Kilmer was kneeling on a pedestal behind the wagon while his stunt double was dragged behind, letting the stuntman's leg take the beating. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The character of the evil General Kell is said to have been named after film critic Pauline Kell. 
George Lucas had hoped that the film would earn as much as E.T., The Extraterrestrial, from 1982, but it faced early competition with, check out these movies, Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> Big, and Rambo 3. It was not a financial flop. With a strong international home video and television sales, it did make a profit. Nice. Warwick Davis smirked when Mark Northover in character as Burglecut sarcastically laughs at him in the scene which Burglecut decides to abandon Willow at the crossroad with the group and go home. It was kept in the film. Kenny Baker of R2-D2 fame played a Newland musician as did his longtime comedy partner Jack Purvis. Finn Razio's animal form is a common brush-tailed possum, a.k.a. Australian possum. So all our Australian listeners, you have an Australian possum in this film. Australian possum. Right. The original wand was a real piece of wood. Eventually, they feared it could break and replaced it with several fiberglass props. There is a continuity error that involves the magic acorns Willow was given by the High Ald One. During an interview with the Empire podcast, Warwick Davis explains that in a scene near the end of the film, he throws a second acorn and it is inexplicably out of after having only used two of the three magic acorns he had been given earlier in this film. Included in the Blu-ray release is the cutscene in which Willow uses an acorn, his second, in a boat during a storm and actually turns the boat to stone. Davis said that his hair was wet in the next scene that didn't make it into the original version of the film, but the acorn is never referenced. And if you haven't hmm. watched the Blu-ray and watched the deleted scenes, there's a whole boat scene in there that's fantastic, too, where he gets attacked in the water. It's really fantastic. I think deleted scenes are fun in general. Oh, yeah. It, it, and I, sometimes I wonder why they weren't left in the movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. Various major film studios turned down the chance to distribute and co-finance it with Lucasfilm because they believed the fantasy genre was unsuccessful. This was largely due to films such as Dragon Slayer in 1981, Cruel in 1983, <laughs> Legend in 1985, and Labyrinth in 1986. Wow. Wait. But Labyrinth is a good movie. Yeah. But what I'm saying, it didn't do too good, I don't think. <laughs> That's true. I mean, like, I guess uh, it, it, it would be falling into the category of uh, cult classic. Right. For sure. The Chinese government refused George Lucas the chance for a brief location shoot. He then sent a group of photographers to South China to photograph specific scenery, which was then used for background blue screen footage. So he's like, I'll get around this. <laughs> right. The fact, here we go again with, you know, how everything is all tied together in our podcast. The fact the main character, played by Warwick Davis, didn't get first build is quite common. Christopher Reeve, despite being the title character in Superman and Superman 2, was built third after Marlon Brando and Gene Hammond in the original and the second after Hackman in the sequel. Other main stars giving third building include Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now after Brando and Robert Duvall and his son Charlie Sheen in Platoon after Tom Berenger and William Defoe. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. But then I guess like when really up until now I never really like gave a second thought to like when they the listing of the billing, you know what I mean? Yeah, that uh, I've noticed a couple times I was like, well, yeah. they're the main character. They're the title of the movie's their name, you know what right? I mean? Rick Overton and Kevin Pollock's scenes were done against blue screens on sound stages and were then added into the scenes with full-size characters and post-production. Ron Howard passed on directing Cocoon The Return in 1988 to direct this film. The twins who played Baby Alora never acted again. Kate Greenfield studied forensic science at DeMont uh, University and no one knows what happened uh, to Ruth and, went on, and what she went on to do. On his blog, Warwick Davis shared a picture in 2007 with a woman named Laura Hopkirk, who says that she played the baby for the scene shot in New Zealand, but she is not credited online. Huh. 
I mean, I'm pretty sure there's some like list online nowadays where it's like, where are they now? Yeah. And it's like, you know, Nobody 30 knows. slide slide show. That's um, just like, this is what they're doing. This baby was played by 14 different people. <laughs> A scene uh, was filmed, but cut, which during the battle at Tir Aslan, Sorsha finds her father, whom uh, has been turned to stone by Bab Morda, and Sorsha's father communicates with Sorsha and pleads with Sorsha to side with Willow and Mad Mardigan and help them protect Alora Dannon and defeat Bab Morda. Hence, Sorsha betraying Bab Morda and succumbing to Mad Mardigan's affections for her. You say that five times fast. Sorsha, that's a name. <laughs> but I like the name. David Steinberg, the actor playing Migosh, slammed into the side of an ice rink while ice skating during production and cut his eyebrow open. The stitches were concealed with makeup for the scene where Migosh makes his departure for home. Oh, man. Wow. Warwick Davis later worked again with Ron Howard on Solo, a Star Wars story in 2018. Warwick Davis played Wicket in Star Wars Episode uh, Six: Return of the Jedi, as well as many other Star Wars characters throughout mm-hmm. his career. That's really interesting. Uh, he even played, uh, if you remember, um, Episode Seven. Yeah, uh, where Ray uh, he's got he's the guy that has BB-8 trapped in the net oh, on top of that yeah. mechanical thing. yeah that's him it's funny because I hear Solo and I'm like I have weird feelings about Solo because like when I first watched it I'm like I like this movie but I've only watched it once and I've had zero like need to watch it again because it was so good <laughs> I think I think it was so good it, you know it I don't want to watch it again and ruin it for me because I pick it apart. You know, what I mean? but I really enjoyed that. I've, well I've watched everything else because it tied times, in. It tied in the cartoon series so well. That's true. Yeah, I do like that. They're, they're tying that in, right? Uh, when Willow first meets Finn Raziel, she is in the form of a brushtail possum. She subsequently becomes a raven, a goat, an ostrich, a peacock, a tortoise, and finally a tiger before Willow succeeds in returning her to her human shape. Julie Peters, Kaya Ufgood, was Truffle Hunter the Badger on the BBC version of Prince Caspian and the Voyage of the Dawn Shredder in 1989, which also starred Warwick Davis as Nicka Brick, the Queen's assistant. Kay and Ruth Greenfield's parents attended Val Kilmer and Joanne Whaley's wedding. On the official movie poster, the wind is blowing simultaneously both left and right, as evidenced by the character's hair. <laughs> <laughs> Willow gets called by Mad Mortigan, Sorsha, Bab Morda, and some other characters, Peck. Peck is the racist word for the new one. Uh, George Lucas initially visualized shooting the film in the way that he had shot Star Wars, Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, uh, with studio scenes at Elstree and locations in Northern California. That idea eventually faded, however, and some exteriors were done around Skywalker Ranch and on location in Borney Falls near Mount Shasta. That's pretty cool. Billy Barley previously starred in another fantasy film, Masters of the Universe, in ah. 1987 as Gwildor. So he was the, the, That's amazing. <laughs> Speaking of Masters of the Universe, did you see that picture online with Terry Crews? Yes. Oh, oh like, man, man really. I love it. That's great. <laughs> in the scene when Willow and Mad Mortigan are in the cage on top of the mountain and Warwick Davis is wearing red boots, they are very same pair of red boots he wore as Reaper Cheap in Prince Caspian, The Voyage of the Dawn Trader in 1989. Hmm. Although the film was released on VHS by Columbia Pictures Home Video in the 1980s, the film was released on DVD by 20th Century Fox in 2000s. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Gavin O'Harely played director Ron Howard's mysteriously vanishing older brother Chuck Cunningham on the first season of Happy Days. There was speculation that this film took place in the Star Wars universe. Although the film was Star Wars creator George Lucas, the film does not take place in the same universe as Star Wars. 
You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> no, watch. Watch. There'll be like some distant planning. <laughs> right. Queen Bab Morda is, a, is a, a similar role to Jean Marsh's role in Return to Oz in 1985 and Doctor Who Battlefield Part 1 in 1989. Huh. Xena, Warrior Princess, Cradle of the Hope episode, bears a similar plot to Willow. In that episode of Xena, Xena and Gabriella, or Gabriella, find a newborn baby in a basket on river and they become the baby's protectors when they learn that the baby was prophesied to sit on the throne of King Gregor and the king's advisor, Nimmos, who secretly plots to overthrow the king, sets out to prevent the prophecy from being fulfilled. It's pretty awesome. All I got to say about that is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sad that it's not mentioned as much as it should be. What, it was, yeah. Hercules was great, too. That's probably the set of search. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That's where she she came from. Yeah, she came from Hercules. Like, I barely watched Hercules, but I I love Xena. I watch (laughs) a lot of Xena. According to the prophecy, Elora Dannon would bring about Queen Bavmorda's downfall. Ron Tarr, who played Lug, also played one of Jabba the Hutt's henchmen in George Lucas' film uh, Star Wars A New Hope. He can be seen standing in the back of the cantina and accompanying Jabba in Docking Bay 94. Hmm. Warwick Davis is only 12 years older than Don Downing, who played his daughter, and only 10 years older than Mark Vanderbrack, who played his son. General Kell's death was edited in the UK version. Yeah, that makes. I mean, there's there's always some kind of editing when going. And now on to some of the movie mistakes. When the brownies kidnap Willow and tie him up and ask, "Where did you get that baby?" but the movement of his lips doesn't match what he's saying. That, you know, that's one of my favorite parts of this movie is when he wakes up and or he, he sits her down and he goes to use the restroom and wakes up. He can't find or whatever. He can't find the baby. Yeah. You see that one, that that one brownie flying on that bird with the baby. And he's like, I stole the baby while you was taking a pee-pee. <laughs> flying, flying around. I love it. Uh, when Willow gives Alora to bad morning and what is heard is goodbye, little one. When originally he said goodbye, Alora, it was after this scene was shot that the people realized that Willow didn't even know her name at this point. The animal that Mad Mardigan calls a muskrat looks nothing like a muskrat. <laughs> Upon Willow's grand return to his village, his wife Kaya can be seen in the crowd waiting to greet him. Later on in the scene, she's surprised by her husband and runs to him. <laughs> <laughs> While hanging in the cage, Mad Mardigan's hand goes from fiddling with the chain on the side to gripping the front bars between shots. Before the journey to return the Daikini baby, Willow is seen with a papoose on his back, then off, and then he puts it on again. Mad Mortigan has his legs hanging out of the cage. In the scene directly following, he has his legs in the cage and crossed. When Fid Raziel shows Bab Morda that she has Sherlandria's wand, her clothes, hair, and skin are completely wet. In the next shot, she is now totally dry. When Willow says goodbye to Allura at the crossroads, the papoose disappears from Mad Mortigan's shoulder in one shot, evidenced by the white woolen strap not being present. When Finn Raziel, as a goat, butts a soldier off the bridge, the hands of the goat wrangler can be seen guiding the goat to its target. (laughs) (laughs) Just after Willow's wagon goes over the fallen tree during the car chase, one of the horses steps on the tree and leaving an imprint showing that it is made of foam. That's funny. While sliding down the hill on a shield, runners are visible from uh, from the sled that was used. You can see the wire supporting Mad Mortigan when he is on the catapult outside the castle. When, or while sliding down the snowy hill on the sled, a very modern glove can be spotted on Mad Mortigan's left hand. There's obviously stunt doubles and doll in some shots during the sled scene. Just before arriving at the uh, at the castle of Tyr Aslian Razel in the shape of a rook, which is a blackbird, uh, warns Willow of the approaching soldiers. A rock is briefly seen flying across the stream aimed at the bird to get it to fly away on cue. Oh, man. <laughs> 
After the car chase, when Mad Morning and Willow get off the car and with the two back wheels missing, the rubber stunt wheel used to allow the car to roll is visible in the center of the axle as it moves away from the actors. While at Tyr Aslan, Laura Dana is taken from Willow by Kel, who gallops off with the baby in his arms. Yes, or yeah, as we see him quickly making his way through uh, Eric's army, he is holding no baby. Just before the village scene fades out during the end credits, the villagers milling around in the distance disappear. <laughs> who says it doesn't take place in the Star Wars universe? They use the Force. I was getting ready to say, when it comes to that, like... Um you might say that, but every now and then he'll get like some kind of cross reference that like that'll make somebody go up oh, there in the same universe, right. like like uh, E.T. in episode what was it episode two, or uh, they where you saw like uh, little E.T. aliens in the in the court scene uh, for what Star Wars. And oh, and, and, yeah, no, yeah. they were yeah, they were in the Senate. Yeah, on they, the were in the Senate right. they were in the little Well, pot, even back yeah. if you go back to watch ET, he's playing with Star Wars action figures. He's got them all on his shelf. Anyway. Oh yeah, we're gonna have to do ET. That's a good one. A couple of scenes that were not in the main movie. Willow, um, Willow's hair is wet when he returns from the island. In a deleted scene, Willow was caught in a massive storm and went underwater. While we do not see this in the main movie, we can infer that it happened nonetheless. Scratches inexplicably appear on Finn Razio's face after the battle. In a deleted scene, her face was scratched up in the battle with Bab Morda. While we do not see this in the film, we can assume it's already there. And lastly, during the fight in the castle at the end, Bab Morda's magic turns a clear day into an overcast storm. However, in a few brief shots of the sky during the fight between Mad Morgan and General Kell, the sky is blue and clear with a few white puffy clouds. <laughs> so, Terrence, take it away. What do you think? It's, uh... Okay, so great movie, obviously, right? Fantastic um, movie. One of my very favorites. whimsical, high fantasy. Um, if that's your bag, then 100% watch it. Uh, that would also be a, a sort of the um, maybe flags for some people to maybe not get into it. Is, is, since it is high fantasy, I know some people are really not into it, um, and it is a long movie. So if like you're not into like high fantasy like whimsicalness then it might not be your cup of tea but i love final, uh, fantasy i love uh you know whimsical movies and stuff i like love that. warwick it's, davis and yeah warwick davis is he's an incredible actor he's a very talented dude um and so I, i'd say give it a try um if, if you're not into fantasy and whimsicalness but if you are this is a 100 percent watch oh yeah and for your kids too right oh it's fantastic yeah. Um. Yeah. Just, so if not for yourself, watch it for your kids. Uh, just I remember <laughs> as a kid, man. There's there's the scene where she's at Bab Morda's at the castle, and she started you know Willow's in the tent or whatever, trying to change the 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 lady back or whatever with his wand, and he comes out, and you see Val Kilmer and Source, you know, they come up, and she's turning yeah. them all to pigs, you know, like his fangs are coming out. Yeah. Um. But that being said if they ever remade this movie the stuff that they could do with special effects like when when they fight the, they kick off that troll into the water and he comes up as a oh, big yeah, two-headed yeah. thing I mean you can tell that some of the animation and stuff they did what, the best they could at the time yeah. and I love it and I loved it then um, but what they could do now it would be so over the top and amazing I think but I don't uh, like it when they touch my classics because yeah. this is one of my favorites and they'll ruin it just yeah. like you know Transformers um, G.I. Joe do I need I, to go I think on? those are all they should have picked a better director, in my own personal opinion, without diving into it. Like, what the Transformers on them or this? Both Transformers and GI Joe. Oh yeah. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, I like some of the casting. Like in the right hands, I, I think what happens a lot of the times is they really don't think about who they're handing this over to. Like there are, I know that there are directors and there are uh, people who will give the care to some of these, um, you know, uh, uh, shows and cartoons and whatever that would give it the care it needs, but they don't hand it to those people, and they're just thinking about the dollar sign sometimes. Right. And I think if they gave it to a true fan of that movie, when they let's say let's say Ron Howard, let's say if, yeah. if if they gave this back to Ron Howard now to maybe change some stuff or even George Lucas yeah. to what they wanted to do the first time around, but it just wasn't possible to do it then, you know, with the deleted scenes and all that. Yeah. Um, or even just even somebody that grew up watching and loved the movie, they could change the movie in a way that would still be true to the movie and not change anything about oh, yeah. it, right? So this is a 10 out of 10 for me. It's definitely, it's probably in my top five, uh, definitely top 10 uh, movies of all time just because I love it to pieces. And it helps that I've met some of the actors. I even met, yeah. um, I met the, uh, if you remember at the end where uh, the, the uh, what was his name? The mayor of this town. Okay, uh, yeah. Let releases uh, Willow releases a bird in the air, and it, everybody's looking up, and it poops right on the guy's face. Yep. <laughs> um, I met him at Celebration, too. He was there. He was actually one oh, of cool. the uh, Jawas that carried R2-D2. Oh, okay. So that's I got awesome. his autograph, too. So I was like, man, I'm a big fan of yours. You know what right. I mean? Because of Willow, and I was like, well, this is great. So, yeah, definitely give it a watch if you haven't. Um, for our next episode, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out here right now. It is a fan pick. It is one that somebody has been waiting a long time. It is one that somebody has sent me memes or memes, whatever you call them, uh, questions and sad faces and rolling eyes and everything. We will be doing, for Samuel Farrell, we will be doing The Godfather. (laughs) So, Samuel, it's coming. It'll be the next time we record. It probably won't be till next week um, because of work schedule and everything. But that will probably be the next one. Also, I have a couple of people coming in. Uh, We will be doing a real talk to... It's going to be on Chick Flicks. I can't believe I said that with my <laughs> sister and her best friend, and Lori's my friend too. So, uh, Lori and Becca will be sitting in with us to do real talk to, and we're going to be doing a Chick Flick. I, they're trying to decide what movie they want to do, so stay tuned for that. Also, join our online Facebook group. That's the Tragedy of Cinema podcast group on Facebook. And when you do, we are going to be doing a Facebook Live. Uh, we're still trying to pick out the date. Yeah. Uh, it will be a Saturday night. I do know this. And it'll probably be from like 10 to 11 or 10.30 to 11.30. And we'll try to pick okay. it ahead of time so we can get right. max, max participation. Definitely. And uh, don't worry. If that doesn't work, that time doesn't work for you, we will be doing probably the next month. We will be doing one, maybe a morning show through the week or something. So that way if you work second shift or third shift, yeah, you'll be able to join in where maybe some other people wouldn't. And kids going back to school, maybe, you know. Yeah. So... Uh, look for that. We, make sure you go back and listen to all of our episodes because me and Terrence are going to scour through there and find some really obscure questions uh, from the podcast. And we will be giving prizes away. I've been talking to Terrence about some prizes, and there are some pretty cool prizes, so you won't want to miss that. It's going to be really fun. Terrence, where can they find us at? You can find us on Facebook. You can also find us on Spotify, <laughs> iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google, and you know pretty much Stitcher. the abundant Stitcher, and then the abundant amount of podcast apps and yeah. programs. I was really shocked to those. find this on Himalaya. I was like, "Wow, I didn't even yeah. know he was on here." Well, that, I mean, that's the thing and is like a lot, the, uh, a lot of the other podcast, the smaller podcasting uh, apps and whatnot, they pull from the bigger ones. So if you upload it to Google, iTunes, like Spotify, they're going to pull from all those. Right. Particularly iTunes, I know a lot of them pull from. iTunes iTunes. Yep. So, Terrence, you got any famous last words? 
what does this button do? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we I have a notes done for a couple of movies. Um, Terrence isn't a big sports fan, so I got somebody coming in to do a, a movie called Hoosiers. Uh, I'm surprised Terrence hasn't seen it since he lives in Indiana now, so he's technically a Hoosier. <laughs> so, but it is definitely a great movie. Um, we've got uh, Star Trek the, uh, First Contact coming up. We've got the Phantom of the Opera, the silent version coming up. We've got uh, The Godfather, like I said, and i got a couple other ones planned, so stay tuned. There's a lot more coming. It'll so, be exciting. Yep. Uh, and by the way, we, we plan, originally planned to do this podcast every two weeks, so I know this is the second week yeah. uh, since we haven't released one, but sometimes we do three a week. It just depends on what our schedules are, so we didn't really? want you guys to think that we're slacking or anything. It just takes time, a lot of time. Yeah. Um, also, be on the lookout. I'm going to post it on the Facebook page. Um, I'm going to set up Patreon. Um, I already have, I've already started it, but you know, we're going to have like the, any amount you want to give a dollar, uh, $5, $10, 6,000, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to do. Uh, that just helps goes to help pay for this. Uh, Cause it's not free to do this. We do put uh, some yeah. money into it and some time. And um, Terrence knows my, my laptop's about to go. Completely. Oh yeah. He, it's, he gets mad at my laptop. Ancient, well. It's an ancient laptop. Help this man. Help this man. <laughs> so um, I, I think another uh, uh, thing that uh, you guys could look forward to, you know, as uh, we push forward on like the Patreon and, um, you know, if we get enough funding and that's, you know, upgrading our audio equipment. So it's easier to have guests on and we're not all huddled around one mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and also um, if you've listened to Real Talk, um, we're going to be doing the second one with my sister and her friend. We are going to probably put that on Patreon-only content um, just because I think that's something that some people look forward to. And it gives the people that donate a little more time. And also, if you're a Patreon supporter, you will get first dibs of uh, selecting a, a movie that we review uh, probably once a month. Yeah. We'll, we'll select, okay, here's so-and-so, so-and-so. It depends on how you sign up. And then we'll but give you guys shout-outs, too. Right. The and, then, the and then it might even bring you on the episode. Um, so... Um, I'm going to be t- testing some stuff out here in a second so uh, to see about the, the guests and all that. So, Well, with that being said, I think this episode is coming to a close. I think it's a wrap. It is a wrap. And, and cut. cut.